in the art world. It's not just, you know, looking at a piece of art and like feeling something, but what are you going to do with those feelings? Like, is it going to inspire you for change and to continue having these same conversations? I mean, they get tiring, but the more you, the more you have these conversations, the more people that you reach. Episode four. Welcome to the Anti-Racist Artist Podcast, a podcast for activists, advocates, and allies working to make our communities equitable through artistry. Each episode, I am joined in conversation by an artist or arts facilitator who has been paving the way in hopes of learning from their expertise and experience. Through action and unity, we can create a better tomorrow today. Let's go. Shauna L. Williams, she, her, hers, paints portraits that are inspired by resilient, misrepresented, and underrepresented groups of people in art and media. She aims to inspire viewers from all walks of life to relate to our common humanity and celebrate our diverse uniqueness. At times, her work depicts moments of solidarity and anti-racism, historical black figures, and embodiments of self-love and self-reflection. Her work has been shown across Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Rome, Italy. Based in Philadelphia, Shauna also brings book authors' visions to life with children's books, illustrations, and creates lifelong mementos for clients with custom oil-painted and pencil-drawn portraits. Shauna intentionally chooses to create children's books, illustrations that are centered around diverse representation. Recent published books include My Two Moms, 2019, My Two Dads, 2016, Brown Girl, 2018, and Brown Boy, 2017. Her most recent series, Scars and the Healing Process, From the Individual to the Collective, at the West Philadelphia Urban Art Gallery, featured representations of the collective's efforts to heal. Images included Colin Kaepernick, protests from the Black Lives Matter marches, devastations from Hurricane Harvey in Puerto Rico, as well as portraits of friends and families sharing stories of healing from emotional and physical scars and traumas. In addition to her 20-plus years of creating and selling art, Shauna has over 10 years of experience working in the nonprofit sector in Philadelphia, with at least six years heavily focused in increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion in the greater Philadelphia area. Shauna holds a BFA in painting from Tyler School of Art, Temple University. Connect with her and view her work on slwportraits.com, Instagram at drawn to paint, that's drawn the number two paint, or Facebook at slwportraits. So it's so nice to meet you, Shauna, and thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'd love to dive right into some of the core questions that uh, we seek to unpack on the podcast. Um, so the first and perhaps most central um, is getting an understanding of what your definition of anti-racist is and how anti-racism factors into your, your own artistry and your own facilitation um, around EDI practices. Um. All right, so my definition of anti-racist or anti-racism mm -hmm. is the intentional action to address personal racial biases, um, standing up for those, standing up to those who are actively being discriminatory and speaking out against behaviors and systems that are racist. And um, unique to my role as a DNI professional is educating people about racist behaviors and systems 
and also educating them about, hey, you have bias. Everyone has it. No need to be ashamed. It's based on your own experiences, your networks, etc. But now that you know better, you can do better. Mm. Um, how that factors into my artwork. It's my artwork is mainly about um, representation. When I'm not busy with commissions, I get to paint whatever I want. <laughs> so I like to create all different types of people. Um, typically, I like to use a lot of um, like protest photos in my work. Um, and I guess that, that kind of ties into anti-racism, um, especially uh, my latest painting um, that involved a protest was for uh, Black Lives Matter March. Um, so I guess that's, that's how it kind of relates to my artist, my artistry, as you put it. So um, into the second question, do you believe that art has an inherent social responsibility to it? Um, and if so, can you begin to characterize what that responsibility might be and to whom that responsibility um, is, is for? Um, when I hear this question, I think about Nina Simone hmm. and she would say that the artist's duty is to reflect the times and that it's also the choice of the artist to reflect the times if they choose to do so. So I definitely agree with that. Um, and the responsibility would be, at least for me, again, when I'm not doing a bunch of commissions, <laughs> just like the bane of my existence sometimes, um, only because I can't like do whatever I want. You, you know how it is. Um, but to amplify the voices of underrepresented folks, of people who are tired, who are oppressed, but also I would say the responsibility is to capture the joy that's still there and the resilience, um, even though it's like a continuous fight and push centuries old, um, it's important to still um, capture that people can still retain some joy um, and while they're continuing to press forward. Um, did I answer your question? Yeah. And okay. <laughs> what you're sharing reminds me of something um, in our first episode with Michael McElroy that he shared about joy being a radical action mm. um, yeah. and, and healing. And that in itself can be um, a force for justice and social responsibility just in that for sure. aspect of the artwork. Yeah. And I didn't answer the last bit, um, which was to who. And I would say that the responsibility is to the community, I guess, that you're representing. Mm -hmm. um, to those you know, folks who don't really know how to formulate the words anymore. To their you know, tiredness of, of all the... I don't want to curse, but to everything mm -hmm. that's happening. <laughs> Um, but then, you know, to that other point of or the other side of allyship. So the responsibility would be to any and everyone in hoping to either create new allies um, and to just remind those who are joined in the fight with those who are being oppressed um, that this is still going on, that we still need your your help. What inspired you to begin using your platform to address social injustices in your art and in your work? And what was a first attempt in this um, realization? Um, 
So when I was in, I went to school for art. I went to Tyler School of Art, Temple University. And I just loved, I just, I still do love painting portraits. Something about it, I just, I love um, trying to capture someone's emotion and like essence of themselves, like in paint. Something about that is just, it's just really great to me, really fulfilling. And back then in college, I, I really didn't want it to be like a statement. I didn't want it to be radical. I just, I'm like, oh, like, I don't want to just paint white people. Like all of, the, all of my other colleagues, black or not, they were only paint white people. Um, and I'm like, well, there's so many other <laughs> different shades. Like just, just, just to look at it, like the visual visuals of it all. It's like, it's more interesting if you have different, types of faces, the skin tones. I mean, the colors with them alone are glorious. Um, I say all that, all that to say, uh, I, was, I wasn't trying <laughs> to be radical or to tackle social injustices at first. Um, and actually from my Scars in the Healing Process BFA thesis show, that was mainly about individuals who have physical and emotional scars that are sometimes tied into each other. And it started out as a self-portrait. When I was younger, I, I had a bunch of um, lumps in my body that could have been cancerous. Thank God they were not, but they had to be surgically removed. So scars in a lot of different places. Um, one particular was on my hand, my painting hand. <laughs> so I did this like huge full-size self-portrait of myself. And that kind of sparked uh, my colleagues to come into my studio, like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Like, oh wow, I have a scar too. I'm like, oh, you do? Interesting. So then I would start painting their scars and just so happens that like all of my friends were of a bunch of different races and genders and backgrounds. So there you have it. Like I now have a show full of different people. Um, fast forward to three, I can't count. Maybe five years later, I, I wanted. I, I was angry about everything that was going on in the world. I mean, it was Colin Kaepernick. That whole, you know, he's not patriotic because he's kneeling, and that whole shebang. I'm just like, all right, I'm, I'm angry. So, my anger pushed me to build off of that scars and healing process to talk about from the individual where I started to the collective pain, the collective scars, and how can we, quote unquote, just get over it, you know, because slavery was so long ago. Well, you keep reopening my scars every single time there's a microaggression towards me at work, maybe. Um, you know, every time I see something in the news, another black man or woman is shot and killed, and nothing's being done about it. Um, so that was my first attempt. I think at intentionally being, you know, using my art as a vehicle for activism. Mm -hmm. I'd like to pick up on what you talked about, anger being a driving force um, to that work. And I recently finished a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear, which is all about creating um, small and actionable and sustainable ways to build intentions for mm. a more intentional life. Um, and he put forth in his book the idea of in order to create any type of change, 
there has to be some amount of anger, frustration, um, something that is going to drive you to get from here to there. And it's when we become complacent, when we become comfortable, mm. um, when we are okay with how it is that um, it kills the ability for us to move forward. So um, just lifting up how you identified that, and for so many, I, I identify with that narrative as well as really latching into a sense of anger and injustice and fueling mm-hmm. this work. Um, so then my question around that, and I'll pose this back to you, um, is how do you take that anger and hold it, but also in the dichotomy of keeping yourself uh, mentally, um, spiritually, emotionally well? How do you hold simultaneously anger with your artistry and your work um, and creation um, and try to better the situation? Um, <laughs> it's Some days it's easier than others. Um, I, I don't know if I should credit this to my personality, which I, I try to see the best in people. Um, I really, I like communicating. I like having real transparent conversations. I like to hear the other side. Um, and so I think my anger mashed with that optimistic, let's talk about it, let's get to the bottom of this together, um, creates a, a more balanced person, still driven, still passionate. I'm unwavering, you know, in my, this is what's right is right, but I'm more inclined to listen and try to inspire people to change their minds. Um, and it's, I've always been this way. And it's just funny that I landed up in the field of DNI and still trying to communicate this way through my art. It's been, it's been interesting. It's not easy. <laughs> Some days are not easy. Like if I'm me, if I'm, if I am, you know, I'm, I'm a black woman. And if my job is to have those difficult conversations with maybe, for example, someone who has no idea what I'm talking about, they think racism is not a thing anymore. Me having to quiet the angry Shauna, because <laughs> a part of me is like, what the hell do you mean? You don't, what are you talking about? Of course you would say that. And then, you know, my, that's my angry side. And then my other side's like, well, let me explain to you the history <laughs> of systemic racism and how it permeates everything in society. Um, so to answer your question, that's, that's how I balance it. I, I think it's an intentional effort because the end goal is, again, to, one, make sure I'm well because I have to definitely take a step back some days and de desensit like I have to you know not look at the media for a day or two like I have to just really unplug especially if my nine to five is DNI sometimes I want to pour that frustration into my art but I also have to know that I can't do anything for like <laughs> for a day I have to just sit maybe just write about it um but it's a balancing act for sure Hello community, I am so excited to invite you to our next community workshop, Naming and Maintaining Intentions, Becoming Effective Towards Liberation with Kevin Schuring. 
This workshop is our January 2021 offering and led by a mindset coach and artist himself, Kevin Shuring. This workshop was created as an offering to our community to really get specific with how we can set intentions for the new year and maintain them throughout not only this year, but our entire lives based on pillars of sustainability and actionable items. So join us on Thursday, January 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it will be on Zoom, and come along for the process with us as we dive into this work with Kevin. You can get your tickets at antiracistartist.simpletix.com, that's antiracistartist.simpletix.com, or you can go right to our website and click the Community Workshop link, and that will take you directly to the page for more information and how to reserve your spot. Again, we are so excited to be coming together in community on Thursday, December 21st, and we really hope you can join us. We'll see you then. What a brilliant transition into the next <laughs> section, uh, which is all about maintaining a balance between your artist's career and your professional career. Um, what are some of the wins and struggles of being a full-time artist and professional in the business and legal world for you? I'll start with the struggles first. Okay. Time management <laughs> is a huge thing uh, for me. Always has been, I think, because I get so into the nitty gritty details of everything that I just, time management is just, I'm, I'm horrible at it. Um, and I guess that's, so last week I had a commission due and while I'm at work, which, you know, I'm working remotely, I'm plugged into work and I'm like, gosh, I could just step away for like a good hour and just knock this out because this is due. And I'm I'm thinking about my artwork while I'm working. <laughs> Sometimes I'm, work, I'm, you know, painting, but thinking about this project that I have to get a head start on for work. Um, so sometimes I feel like I'm being stretched in the two different directions. And so I have to be intentional in trying to marrying my two sides together. Um, Fortunately, I can be creative in my work, so that kind of helps feed. I don't feel like I, I'm not, I'm losing um, any creativity doing the nine to five. It's just a different part of my creativity. Um, another uh, one downside also is when people find out that I'm an artist at my nine to five and they see my work, they're like, wow, what are you doing here? <laughs> You should just do art full time. And I'm like, well, thank you. But I like doing this job. I'm excelling in this job, too. Like, I, I want to do both. So sometimes it's like they don't take you seriously in one lane or the other. I've even found that with some of my art, my art friends who are full time. They're trying to convince me to leave my full time job. And they're kind of like, oh, well, people will take you more seriously if you're just an artist. I'm like, I feel like I need to have my hands everywhere. I don't know. Um, but I do, I do feel like if I, if I wasn't in the DNI world, um, I don't think I would be doing as much intentional work on myself in order to better reach other people. Mm. So I feel like I, I need both of them in a way. Mm -hmm. I want to dig into how you and how we can learn from your actions of bringing some of the work from your um, DNI work in the corporate and legal world into the work that we do as artists. Oftentimes, I feel like it's 
perceived that they're very separate worlds as far as um, corporate and outside of the arts businesses run versus how um, artists handle their work and how they approach um, even with things with institutions within the arts such as museums, theaters, um, other venues, whatnot. Um, how have you been able to, like you said, um, in both of these creative outlets, start to bring and frame some of the work that comes from your DNI work, your nine to five, into the artist's perspective, into the artist's realm? I, well, I haven't had a chance yet to do this, um, but one of my, a show that I was planning for 2020, womp womp, um, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to try to bring in an element of a safe space discussion. And these, and discussions like these are, I, I guess it's, it's not necessarily new in the DNI world. And, and a lot of affinity groups, employee resource groups can, can do this and have done this. Um, and I'll go back and explain like affinity group you know what affinity groups are i'm sure um i do but perhaps you can explain um how it shows up in your work so that our sure. listeners can also better yes. understand um for for me um at my law firm we have um a black lawyer network asian american asian lawyer network hispanic latino lawyer network women lawyer network parent lawyer network and anyone that would like to be a member of those networks can um, basically have an, they'll have, they'll either have an affinity for people who are parents, for example. Um, And so who are like them, who are also parents who can kind of tap into the resources of that group. Um, They can discuss challenges. They can discuss best practices. I mean, parents in particular um, with the remote learning, they can discuss those things. Um, it's not meant to be a uh, a wine session. Uh, it's kind of meant to bring people more closer together. Um, an important element of employee resource groups is that it can't be exclusionary. So if you're not a parent and you want to join the group, that's all the better. So you, you can learn different perspectives while you're in that group. Maybe you can learn how to better support your other colleagues who are parents or even that can translate into your, your home life. Um, and so what I like to do at my job and at my previous jobs was to create um, safe space discussions to not just talk about, oh, like this, this, this issue I'm having um, with remote learning right now. Like, I don't know what to do. Um, I guess a better example would be with our Black Lawyer Network, where we would um, invite folks to kind of just come, especially after George Floyd. You can imagine the discussion was very tense and we had to open it up by saying you know kind of sort of like a town hall you know all, all of your voices um are are welcome here um anything that you want to say here just remember that it is a safer space um which means that if someone gets offended um they should know that we're setting it up now to say there's really nothing you can't say anything wrong per se, because we know that everyone's intentions by staying in this group right now, everyone's intentions is to learn and there's no malice in it. Um, and so if someone says something offensive, you correct them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and really, it's just a way for people to, again, just to connect. 
um, in a more, in a deeper way, rather than, you know, those surface conversations. Um, and, you know, obviously people can get advice from each other. Um, I think after George Floyd, it was really, it was kind of just, there were a lot of moments of silence on the line. Um, people were just, you know, some people were, were, were angry and they were expressing that anger. Other folks were sad and they were crying. Some people, you know, were just being very logical about the situation. Like, so what do we do next? What's the next step? Some people are like, not even there yet. Like, just give me, <laughs> I need some time. Um, but it's good, you know, in a professional way to kind of assess, as, as a DNI professional, to assess where folks' minds, where their, where their minds are. Um, you know, for programming and for policy changes, um, you can get a lot of ideas from them for, for what's needed. Um, for example, the Crown Act are, you know, at least that lawyer network is trying to push um, for the firm to support it. And which basically, because there has to be a law around black people's hair <laughs> for us not to get fired or, uh, you know, any repercussions in school. For, have, for wearing natural hairstyles, like mine, for example, um, which are twists. Um, other folks can get in trouble for wearing locks at work, like people are still getting fired and expelled from school for these things. Um, long story short, I feel like something like that, safe space conversations, um, would be great to have in an artist, in an artist community. Uh, or even, again, like at my art show, I was, I was planning on having something like that, you know, maybe like look at the artwork around you. What does it make, what feelings does it prompt for you? Like, uh, haven't obviously thought that through, but <laughs> something of that nature, something that's, you know, more natural and, you know, maybe not forced, but if you're feeling those feelings, it's important to share them. We will jump right back in the conversation in just a moment. I am excited to invite you to join the conversation with us on Instagram and Facebook. We are posting sneak peeks of upcoming episodes, some powerful quotes, and announcing workshop and engagement opportunities specifically for this community. We are on Instagram at antiracistartist and on facebook.com slash AAP community. We look forward to having you join the conversation. My next question stems from inspiration I got from uh, BTU, which is Black Theater United, a new group that founded shortly after the murder of George Floyd. Um, and I had talked about this in the first episode. Um, they had a town hall with Sherilyn Eiffel, um, who's the executive director. I may be misquoting her title, but she leads um, the NAACP's Legal Defense Fund. And she talked about the importance of, in this moment where the heat is turned up, um, and specifically this was a few months ago when the heat was really turned up, how do we capitalize on that moment um, and get commitments from those in power in writing in some um, way that we can carry with us once time is an urgency is not on our side? So I'm wondering um, in the DNI work, in the EDI space, um, I've sensed an urgent need for like workshops and the quick fix and the, and the statements. <laughs> yeah, the statements. We stand against racism, but we're not giving you a single clue as to how we're going to change anything within our systems. Yes. I'm wondering how, 
in your experience, with your understanding how we can galvanize from this moment and get things um, in concrete ways promised so that real change can be actualized. Um, and if you've come across mm. any um, avenues in doing so through your work. Mm. Um, it really it really depends on leadership if they are the kind of leader that listens to their clients, um, to their employees, to the community at large, because anyone can just put out a statement just to satisfy a few folks and just go along their merry way. And, you know, they're not receiving any, any pushback from anyone or they're not listening to it rather. So I think, unfortunately, <laughs> if a leader of a company isn't uh, being held accountable in some way, whether that be, I don't like held accountable, held accountable, like not just a boycott that's going to hurt their profits for like a day, but something like they're unfortunately, I don't have an answer <laughs> for for anything to change with them um, for the leaders that are trying, which I've met a lot of them in Philadelphia um, in the past in my previous work. And they are pretty sincere. Um, it takes it takes people at all levels in, in a company. Um, it obviously helps if you have diverse representation on your leadership, which unfortunately for Philly and nationwide is rare. Um, but if you at least have, this is where those affinity groups come into play. Um, if they can convene and present um, as a unit, a document or uh, a, put in a call for the leader of that affinity group to say, hey, like our membership of over 100 employees, 100 of your employees are really concerned about the following. If, they're, if someone is getting pressure from brave individuals within that organization, they are very, very likely to make some actionable um changes and it's not it's it's real work so i mean it it does take a diversity and inclusion team um preferably or at least a consultant that has the resources to do the work it does not work if it's you know in connection to hr for example people are afraid especially black people they're going to be afraid of losing their jobs if they're too blunt or too angry which a lot of black people are angry but then you if you're a black woman then you're also like you know super checking yourself all the time because you're like I don't want to be the angry black woman but I am actually really angry about what's happening in the world right now uh it's there's no quick answer um and I think that's why a lot of leaders are putting out a statement because they're like yeah this is a lot of work I don't have time for this um, but I say to bring in a DNI team because they can at least present the business case for holding, for keeping your diverse talent. I mean, so many folks are going to want to leave um, for a better, for a company that will suit them better, for a better culture. And yeah, it's it's pretty tough. <laughs> it's pretty tough right now. 
Um, it obviously helps if you have like systems in place. Again, like the affinity groups are super valuable. Um, if you already have policies in place for people, you know, a, I would say like a employee hotline of some sort for people to anonymously provide feedback. But, you know, there's no point in collecting that feedback if you don't have anyone there to to actually do something with all of that data. Um, so it it requires real work and it requires people, a team and a budget behind it. Commitment with dollars. Commitment with dollars and people. Because it's unfortunate that, um, one, a lot of diversity and inclusion professionals, they've been voluntold to do their job because they're a Black person who happens to be, um, or, you know, a per- an other, quote unquote, person who happens to be passionate about diversity and inclusion. And they're given an additional job to do on top of some other random job with no learning so we have you know in their own time and resources they have to educate themselves on everything dni which is everything from anti-discrimination laws to what is bias okay and now i have to learn about bias so i can teach other people about bias mm-hmm. and all the different types of bias <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and then it doesn't stop there all the different kinds of gender identities and sexualities and this, this, that, and the third, like they have to educate themselves. And um, ho- luckily now, DNI is trending, which I have a love hate relationship with that word. Um, so folks can get, you know, certified and, you know, easier access to real educational materials. Um, but again, it, it cannot be that one person. Um, I'm I'm glad to see now that a lot of companies are hiring chief diversity officers, which is great. But again, if it's just one person, it's kind of like, it's for show. We will be right back with more of our conversation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of our podcast. We have created it just for you, and we are so glad to have you a part of the community. If you are enjoying this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platforms and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a moment and helps us greatly to share these conversations with more folks like you. And by subscribing, you will get notified as soon as our future episodes release. Look at you, you special human. So we are recording this at the end of December. It is almost the new year, and we will be releasing this episode on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I wanted to dive into one of the portraits that you have created, and it depicts Martin Luther King Jr. and his quote, Quote, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, end quote. I also want to um, draw a parallel with a quote that Lilla Watson has said, quote, if you have come to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together, end quote. So my question is, how do you see art in this charge towards liberation Um, How do you see it serving a function to this end? What is the significance of using art to connect us and point us towards our bound liberation that both the Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. and Lilla Watson are pointing to in these words? The answer that comes to mind is, for me, art evokes emotion. Um, It also inspires me. Um, especially if I see myself 
represented in some kind of way. And definitely with those two things in mind, emotion and representation, it can for sure connect a lot of people. Um, That's a really good question. I think that in having those conversations that I mentioned before in the art world, it's not just, you know, looking at a piece of art and like feeling something, but what are you going to do with those feelings? Like, is it going to inspire you for change and to continue having these same conversations? I mean, they get tiring, but the more you, the more you have these conversations, the more people that you reach. Um, And I think that that by itself will connect folks um but like I said it's just it's it's intentional work all the time (laughs) so it's definitely important to recharge and get right back at it Mm. so good so each episode we invite our guests to choose an organization to uplift one that is creating a meaningful impact towards a more equitable inclusive accessible and anti-racist future Shauna has chosen Sankofa Healing Studio, which serves marginalized youth and adults who are trauma-impacted and justice-involved. Shauna, do you want to talk a little bit about this organization and why you chose to uplift it? So, personally, I, I just love them. And Jackie at, San, at Sankofa Healing Studio, she's a licensed therapist. Um, and her And she's a Black woman, which is super important to note because it's really hard to find a black therapist in Philly, but even harder to find a black therapist who's a woman, who's an, also an artist mm. who is focused on social justice. I mean, I hit the jackpot with her. She's actually my therapist. I don't know if you can tell. Um, she's great. <laughs> and her organization, I mean, they do, they do great work in Philly, um, which is, it's so important especially on the only, I find so often that DNI work becomes very focused on allyship and trying to convince, put it bluntly, white people to not be racist. <laughs> Sometimes it's, it's mainly focused on that. And so you really have to make sure that you're tackling it from the other end. Like what about for the folks that deal with racism every single day, all the microaggressions, whether intentional or not intentional, it's just a lot of a lot of trauma. So that organization is super important, especially since they were created with black people in mind. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that organization with us. Um, yes. And on behalf of you, we will be making a donation to Sankofa Healing Studio. And you listening audience can also donate and learn more about their work at SankofaHealingStudio.org. That's S-A-N-K-O-F-A HealingStudio.org and on Instagram at Sankofa Healing Studio. Before we go, Shauna, are there any other organizations, people, projects that are doing this work that you'd like to highlight and for us to know about? Oh my gosh. I think you you guys cover a lot of organizations already. It's going to say Black Lives Matter, like all the chapters, just give all your money to them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, all the African-American museums, especially the one in Philadelphia. Well, thank you so much, A, for all of the work that you're doing for all of us in Philadelphia, 
um, and B for coming on and sharing that work and your perspective and your dreams of a better future world with us today on this episode. So thank you for joining us, Shauna. It's so nice to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much. The Anti-Racist Artist Podcast is produced by Subido Politico Productions, LLC, hosted by Taylor Ibarra, edited by Andrew Alcarez, and project and community managed by Maricela Juarez. To stay connected with the Anti-Racist Artist Podcast, please visit us at antiracistartist.com, on Instagram at antiracistartist, or via email at antiracistartist at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Our podcast is made possible with the support of folks like you. You can get exclusive content and access to the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash antiracistartist. Theme music features vocals by Esteban Suero, Forrest Van Dyke, Kennedy Kanagawa, Jameson, Minji Kim, ah.